From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. After a week of much-needed rest and recovery, the Gators are prepped for what is arguably their biggest game yet in a season defined by escalating stakes. Florida Georgia has arrived, and the Gators are hoping for more treats than tricks when they battle the Bulldogs. On today's show, we welcome FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry to discuss the magnitude of this matchup, the health of some key Gators, the growth of the offensive line, our first look at the super-hyped men's basketball squad, and the brave new world for NCAA athletes and compensation in the PAT. Then, offensive lineman Gene DeLant stops by to talk about his roundabout path from the Lone Star to the Sunshine State, his hidden musical talents, and the keys to slowing down the vaunted Georgia defense. But first, anticipation could not be higher for Florida Georgia, with the course of the rest of the season hanging in the balance. So to open our roundtable with Scott and Chris, we asked them to measure just how large this game looms in the recent history of the storied rivalry. To me, and Chris might have a different opinion, this is the biggest Florida game, I think, since the 2012 Florida-Georgia game. Uh, you know, you got to remember that game was kind of the peak for uh, Will Muschamp's era. They were number three in the country and went over to Jacksonville and we're still in the, uh, back then, the uh, BCS National Championship hunt. But, of course, they lost that game 17-9. to And <laughs> it didn't get better from there for a world must champ. And it hasn't gotten a lot better uh, for anybody until Dan Mullen arrived. And, you know, although you can say, well, what about those two SEC championship games the Gators made since then? Uh, you know, it was always, you just went up to Atlanta with the thought that they weren't quite on Alabama's level. And, of course, both results prove that. Uh, But I think this is a different uh, situation. The Gators, you know, maybe on paper, a lot of people didn't have them on Georgia's level two or three months ago. But I think as the season's played out, this matchup's kind of been recast perception-wise. And both of these teams, the winner of this game, uh, will obviously be in the driver's seat, the SEC East. And if they win out and make it to Atlanta and win that game, whoever they play, they're going to be right there in the college football playoff conversation. I would have a hard time imagining if that were to happen, that they wouldn't be among the final four teams. That's a lot of football before then left to be played, obviously. But just to you know, go back to the original question, this is as big as uh, Florida's had a game in, like, to me, what, seven years. Yeah, the 2012 game, uh, Florida was ranked third, came in 7-0. and uh, Georgia uh, was ranked 12th. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, they came in 5-1 and or 6-1. and They had a loss already. But uh, that, that was a, a, a game with, obviously, national ramifications. Had Florida done by that one, um, well, who knows what would have happened that season. They probably wouldn't have been in the Sugar Bowl uh, uh, the way they finished that season. They had some dicey games down the line. But, I mean, this isn't just the biggest Florida-Georgia. And this is the best Florida team, probably, since the 2009 season. Uh, certainly the best coach one. They have uh, the best quarterback play that they've had in that time. Uh, they certainly are, are far from perfect uh, offensively, uh, especially the discrepancy when it comes to passing yards and rushing yards. But people made a lot of assumptions about Georgia running away with the East. Obviously, that's not the case. Right now, Georgia looks vulnerable. Their last two weeks haven't been particularly impressive. I know they shut out Kentucky, but you know Kentucky was playing a, a wide receiver as their third or as a fourth, four quarterbacks they were on, Scott. I'm not even sure. Um, yeah. It's right there, and, and Mullen said it after the LSU game. Every game is big, but regardless of the outcome, the, the outcome that LSU uh, really didn't have a major impact on what direction Florida's season can go. The outcome of this game does, and uh, it is going to be electric up there. The last year's game I thought was awfully uh, enticing heading into it, and uh, Georgia obviously was favored, and it, who knows what would happen if first play of the game, that play-action pass of Felipe Franks had – had hit that long touchdown pass that seemed wide open at the time. Things might have turned out differently, but Georgia was the much better team last year and showed it. Um, certainly Florida proved as much the next week they went out and played so horribly against Missouri at home. 
this is a very confident team, and above all else, they're they're getting some uh, they're getting some players back who've been injured and haven't played. And I think Florida's going to go there as a as a very confident bunch this week. And just to add a little postscript, guys. I was researching something this morning for what I'm writing today, and you know, Florida Georgia is always big. It's been highlighted that this is the seventh time in the series history that they both met as a top ten team, which they also did last year. But in back-to-back years, it's only happened one other time, and that was 1983-84. So it just kind of shines a spotlight on how big of a game this really is. Florida George is always big, but very rarely in back-to-back years has it been as big in the national conversation. Well, and, and Chris, mentioning some of the guys are getting back, that seems to be pretty much the, the dominant storyline leading up to this game. It's been all anyone's talked about basically since after South Carolina was what state will Florida's defense be in when they play Georgia? Because as the, the numbers bear out, they are a much different unit when they have John Grenard out there, when they've got Jabari Zuniga, than when they don't. So I guess the question is, number one, it's not just will they play, but how effective will they be? What is their level of health? That's the question I think everyone wants to know the answer to. Yeah, I mean, they're healthy. Uh, Dan Mullen just was on the conference call with him, the SEC media teleconference call, and obviously that was uh, question number one or two that he got was uh, how are those guys doing in practice this week? He says they look good, they'll be ready to go. And you can't underestimate what that means to a defense that you know really hasn't been full strength all season. Uh, even when Grenard was playing great, you know they, they had to go without Zuniga uh, since the Kentucky game for the most part. Uh, early in the season, you know, uh, C.J. Henderson went down and missed several games. Uh, they've missed Jawan Taylor, Donovan Steiner at different times because of injury, uh, Brad Stewart because of a suspension the first couple of games. So from uh, Florida's side, you know, Ty Grantham and Dan Mullen, they're, they're pretty pleased with the fact that they have their full complement on defense for the first time really this season, and it couldn't come at a better time what we just talked about with everything at stake. But also, Georgia, their offense, you know, they're averaging 36 points a game, 471 yards a game. There's a lot of conversation about, yeah, but they've been struggling. You know, they did look, obviously, uh, pretty rugged in that loss to South Carolina. The Kentucky win, you know, it was really bad weather up in Athens that night. Fromm only threw the ball 12 times, uh, so that those numbers are skewed a little bit. But to me, DeAndre Swift is, you know, you, you start talking about the top tailbacks in the country. He's going to be uh, mentioned along with uh, some other guys in that category. Having Grenard as a nigga up front to maybe uh, disrupt some things along the defensive line, uh, that to me that just can't be overestimated uh, as a benefit for Florida in this matchup. And now you roll in uh, Kadarius Tony, who, I mean, we can make the case right now that going into the season he was probably the most electrifying playmaker that they had on offense, and they, you know, they had him for a game and a half. First time he touched the ball was what a, a 68-yard touchdown against Miami, put them up seven nothing in the in the season opener. Now I'm, again, we're dealing with a guy who's coming back from a broken collarbone or whatever the shoulder injury, whatever the extent of that was. So I'm sure they'll be, take every precaution with regards to getting that area of his of his body protected. But Georgia now knows that he's going to play, so uh, you know they got to spend some time accounting for the multitude of things that Kadarius Tony can do. And obviously they've, uh, they've done a really good job filling in that spot, whether it's Josh Hammond on jet sweeps, or, you know, we saw what Jacob Copeland did at South Carolina, a phenomenal uh, performance by him, his biggest game by far of, uh, of his young Gator career. But uh, Kadarius Tony back there uh, changes things a little bit because he can basically do everything. And as I, I, one of the best quotes of since Dan Mullen's been here. Uh, the play never looks like how it's designed when you give him the ball, but usually it's a uh, pretty exciting uh, uh, watching him uh, get to the point where from point A to B, whatever that may be, if it, whether it's a, a 68 yard uh, catch and run or a, or even a, a two yard game, but he brings an altogether different element, whether it's on the kicking game or certainly uh, when he breaks that huddle and lines up uh, in that slot position or uh, sometimes in the wildcat, we know he can throw the ball. So, uh, you know, the recipe or the menu, as it were, opens up a little bit more with him in the game. 
We're also curious to see what the playbook looks like after another few weeks for this offensive line, because I think it's been pretty clear that they have made progress. Florida ran the ball better at South Carolina than they did the week before that. It isn't exponential growth, but there's clearly is some growth there. How much do you guys expect Florida will try to lean on the run game more in this game as opposed to in the past when they basically just abandoned it and just threw screens instead of running the ball? Well, I think that's part of the plan every week, Adam. And, you know, they're going to want to run the ball against Georgia. There's no question about that. I do think the offensive line has made some improvements as the year has gone on. I also think that Dan Mullen uh, and his offensive staff have found ways to find some space in the run game to work around maybe some of the weakness on the offensive line. And this game it offers an intriguing matchup. But, you know, when you look at the two offensive lines, you know, everybody has talked about how that's a weak spot for Florida. And obviously, Georgia went into the season with, you know, most analysts had them with the best offensive line in the country. I just think that for Florida to win, they're going to have to find some room in the run game. Does that mean they go back and do what they did at LSU and and get Emory Jones in there a little bit more? We didn't see Emory at South Carolina too much. Uh, It was more on Kyle Trask, and he obviously delivered. But also, you know, Michael P. Ryan, whatever they have found in the run game this year, it's come at really opportune times. I think they are one of only two schools in the country with three touchdown runs of 70 or more yards. I mean, that's that's rare for any team. So they've been able to make some explosive plays in the run game. But are they the type of team that's going to, you know, march 90 yards down the field and do it 75 on the ground? Probably not. I don't think that's uh, that's the way they can win. Uh, but I do think that, you know, you're going to see them try to get P. Ryan. I think you're going to see maybe with Tony back in the mix, maybe get him on some misdirection runs. Obviously, Damian Pierce has come along uh, as the season's progressed. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be a factor. You know, like, like I said, I don't know. I don't know. I don't expect him to run for 250 yards. But guess what, Adam? I didn't expect. Remember that one year against Georgia when Matt Jones and uh, – Kevin Taylor, I think both of them almost got 200 yards. Yeah, both had over 190 yards. I yeah, mean, come yeah. On. so these games, it's just, you just never know. Uh, would I write that the way that Florida's going to win? No, but again, we've been surprised in this series before, so who knows. So we just touched on it a little bit, but ultimately, you know, when you guys boil this down, where do you think the difference in this game is? I mean, certainly talking about the defense uh, and what DeAndre Swift can do, you know, from where I sit, I think tackling is, is a huge part of it. Florida's going to have to tackle well. Uh, otherwise, Georgia could break off some long runs. That Those are really the, the bread and butter of their offense right now because they lost so many weapons from last year. Fromm does not have as many options in the passing game, but they really go as Swift goes and the play action that comes off of that. It's so simple. I mean, when you hang out with as many coaches as we do, it's the, you start to sound like one. I mean, you, you got to capitalize on your scoring opportunities and you got to protect the ball. I mean, uh, I just know that was it last year? Florida had a couple of possessions inside the 20 and didn't score in the game. Um, you miss a wide open guy on the first play of the game. That's, you know, 65 yard tone setting kind of touchdown. Um, you know, opportunities that you take advantage of are probably going to be uh, rare against a defense like Georgia's. And certainly uh, Jake Fromm found out a couple weeks ago. What happens if you don't protect the football, which is really rare occurrence for him, the way he, that game played out against South Carolina when he threw three interceptions to the same guy. Pretty simple stuff. I mean, I, I'm i not going to say that Florida has to run the ball anymore, but I think Dan Mullen manufactures uh, passing plays that basically are become running plays. Um, I do think you got to get pressure on the quarterback defensively. And I, I agree with you, Adam, about, you know, Swift can't be what uh, Kelvin Taylor and Matt Jones were a couple years ago you sure. know, uh, for, for the Gators and all of a sudden make it a lot easier on Jake Fromm to go back there and, and take aim at the secondary if he knows he has that play action working and Swift is having a big day. So I don't think it's really complicated in terms of what has to happen. Uh, I, I would like to see Gators perhaps um, have that better element of a, a cleaner kind of passing game than maybe they started off with. Uh, up at South Carolina, of course, weather had something to do with, do with that. Uh, but, uh, um, you know, Kyle Trask has, has, has had two weeks, um, just like Jake Fromm has to kind of hone some things, uh, with that passing game. And again, you get Darius Tony back. So there's going to be some, probably some imagination in the playbook and, um, pressure on the quarterback is going to be helped by the, uh, addition of Bernard Zaniga, obviously. I mean, to me, and I've been saying this all week, I do think the key for the Gators, at least a huge key, would be stopping Swift, like a lot of what Chris just said. I, I think uh, 
he's kind of the X factor for Georgia just because he is so good. And he's averaging seven yards a carry. And Dan Mullen said earlier, you know, to tackle him, you got to have a, tar- a party of tacklers. Uh, one guy's not getting him down. And I'll, I'll be watching how Georgia's run game unfolds early in the game. If they're able to get into a rhythm with him, uh, I don't think it's going to look good for the Gators. But if they can force Georgia to throw because of uh, an inability to maybe get the run game going to their liking, I think that could be a huge uh, factor in the Gators' advantage uh, early in the game. It's going to be a a huge game. It's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out, and certainly we get to talk about that more next week, and we'll really define uh, where Florida's season goes from there. But I want to talk about another season that is in its very infancy at the moment, and that is Florida basketball. They had their exhibition game against Lynn on Tuesday, and while, Chris, you had a chance to see the team multiple times before, this was the first public viewing for them. So what were the takeaways from their first time on the court in what could really be called a, uh, a game? Like everything else, there's some good things to take away from it and some things they obviously are, are going to have to focus on in practice. Uh, Lynn is a Division II team uh, in the Sunshine State Conference here in Florida that actually won 25 games last year and went to D2 Sweet 16. But they fortified themselves with a couple of Division One guys that transferred down, including a fellow by the name of Jordan Allen, who came in here and hung 35 on the Gators, including 9 of 17 from the three-point line. This guy was falling backwards, making shots with his eyes closed, uh, taunting the rowdy reptiles. It was a good little exhibition game for Florida, which you know, the Gators were up by 31 earlier, early in the second half. But uh, this guy, uh, Jordan Allen, scored, I think, 13 of 15 points at one time during a 21 to 7 run and you know kind of caught the Gators a little bit not not exactly on their toes now there are a lot of uh, young guys on the court but that's that's going to happen during the season because you're talking about seven guys that weren't on the team last year that played Trey Mann got the start over Scotty Lewis I think that probably raised some eyebrows with some people but Trey Mann's probably uh in the eyes of the coaches been the better practice player and probably deserved that that's not to say that's he's going to be there going forward uh but uh, uh that's that's how it started certainly Scotty came off the bench and played 26 minutes. Um, he only scored five points, but got all the anticipation and all the hype and all the stuff out of the way as far as, you know, playing in front of a crowd and what have you. Kerry Blackshear has been on the court and has been in front of fans. And now these these freshmen, Scotty Lewis and Trey Mann, have been out there. Omar Payne has been out there, a guy who's just gotten better and better the last couple of weeks. Um, these guys have gotten their first kind of taste being out there in the public and wearing these expectations that are that come with wearing this jersey now is the number six team in the country. Did they look like a Tuesday night? Probably not. But uh, there's a baseline now from which the coaches can operate with regards to what they can do better offensively and defensively. I mean, the minutes, you look at it, 29, 28, 22, 24, 24, 13, 19, 26, 14. I think those are going to be uh, changed somewhat. So there's some guys that are going to take on a little bigger role. Some guys are going to take on smaller roles. Who those guys are right now, you know, I got a pretty good idea. I don't think Quez Glover is going to play 13 minutes a game. I don't think Jason Jatobo is going to play 14 minutes a game. Those are two freshmen right there. There's a few minutes there that are going to go to other guys. Um, Kerry Blackshear only played uh, 24 minutes Tuesday and still had a double-double. He's more of a 30-minute guy. So um, rotations are going to be defined. Roles are going to be defined, like I've said any number of times here. Uh, as the season goes on and these freshmen – Find out what their roles are. They're not on the court all the time like they were in high school. How are they going to handle that? I mean, that's that's all chemistry-related stuff, and that's important. Um, you know, for an exhibition game, Gators 89, Lynn 71, there's tape to review. There's good and there's bad. That's how you get off to a season. Florida opens uh, North Florida against North Florida the regular season next Tuesday night, and they don't have a lot of time to mess around because uh, Florida State comes in five days later and Florida State, you know, without question, has had the Gators number the last five seasons, longest uh, winning streak in the series history for the Seminoles. So obviously that's something we'll talk about next week, but uh, I'm sure a lot of uh, fans have already started uh, to circle that one on the calendar the day after the Vanderbilt football game. Yeah, no question. And we'll, of course, be talking more basketball next week once the season officially opens. But now I want to turn our attention to the PAT. And this is, I, I want to say we've talked about this before when it was in its infancy of uh, just discussing the idea. And then suddenly 
seemingly out of nowhere after California passed the, the law about players being able to benefit from their likeness, the NCAA had a board of governors meeting on, this was on Tuesday, where they determined that players going forward should be able to benefit from their likeness. Essentially, if they're selling lots of jerseys, they should see that money, so on and so forth. Um, I'm just, I'm curious for you guys, you know, what do you think about this and, and the slippery slope it establishes? And again, call me old fashioned, but I'm one of those people who, it's hard to look at this and not see this as going down the wrong path for college athletics, because ultimately what what's going to happen? All your you know starting quarterbacks will have all this extra money and they'll essentially be getting paid more than the other guys. At what point are you basically just professional football, right? Or any other sport. So I'm curious what you guys think. Do you think that's the, the way this is headed or is there a way this can be done that, that doesn't go off that slope? Well, I think this is the way it's been headed for about a decade now, to be honest with you, Adam. You got to remember when Ed O'Bannon, the former UCLA basketball player, filed that case against the NCAA back, I think, in 2009. You know, the NCAA, if we know anything, it does not move very quickly. And it's taken really uh, recent uh, legislation in California to move them forward. And then, of course, after California uh, put forward a bill that said, hey, in our state, we're going to allow college athletes to uh, be paid for their likeness and image. Well, you knew the rest of the country wasn't going to wait very long because that, that gives California schools a huge advantage in recruiting. And, of course, even the Florida governor has come out in recent days and, and supported a bill uh, in the state of Florida. So this is just a personal view. Uh, I mean, I've kind of seen this coming for a long time. I, I have no issues with it. I understand the people out there who say, well, college athletes, a college scholarship is definitely worth a lot. Uh, and, you know, Chris and I, we see what these athletes, the student athletes really get. I mean, they have medical service. They have training, food. Uh, I mean, they get a lot of beyond the, uh, you know, the tuition and the room and board that they get paid for by the universities. Uh, and they're getting, you know, kind of, I guess, experience or treatment that professionals are. It's just that in their world, they're going to school. And you have to go to school, you have to go to class, you have to pass to have access to all that. But it's all being paid for while they're here and getting their education. Having said all that, to me, the great poster boy, nobody is better than Tim Tebow in his time at Florida. I can't remember another college athlete in at least recent years who could have benefited from this more perhaps while he was in school. Would I have any issue if Tim Tebow had been earning thousands of dollars on the outside just because of his popularity? I really don't. And, uh, you, you know, you can say, well, how's that fair to the third string defensive tackle who probably has very limited opportunity to earn extra income? Well, I mean, that's just the way the world works. <laughs> you know, if you're a great guitarist and you're in the school of music at UF and you have a chance to go on summer tour with one of Chris's favorite band, the Eagles, because they're looking for some backup help. I have no problem with that. I mean, it's, it's not against the rules. So, again, I mean, I know this is going to be a controversial issue. It's going to take a long time to work out because the bottom line here is there's a lot of money that's potentially uh, up for grabs. So a lot of people are going to have their fingerprints on this. Uh, I, I do think it's going to take some time to work out a system that maybe everyone agrees on. But I, again, I, at the bottom line, I, I really don't have any problem with it. The notification came up on your phone that NCA uh, passes law that will allow athletes to be paid or something. I was like, wow, what? Um, <laughs> yeah. So I call up the story and I start reading the story and specifically the, the, the statement from the NCA. I said, this is a lot of double talk. That's that's what I thought initially, because they're very, it was very short on specifics to a bunch, a bunch. Yeah. A bunch of restrictions. And there was no mention of money. Okay. And so like anything else, I, I, I so what, you know, what the hell are, are they really saying here? Uh, it was pretty nebulous. And, and then like, like I do every morning, I'm being a Washingtonian. I, I, I read the Washington post and uh, Sally Jenkins is one of the best columnists in the country. And I read that today and, and you sent us the idea of, of what we're talking about. Point out, I, If I can just read this, you can, I want to read what she wrote. Uh, one of paragraphs in her column, the exact wording of the NCAA Board of Governors announcement is the giveaway. Each NCA division is directed to, quote, consider updates to relevant bylaws and policies for the 20th century, end quote, that would eventually allow athletes to, quote, benefit from their own names and images so long as they do, in quote, a manner consistent with the collegiate model, period. 
what does all that mean? Yeah. That was the first thing I read. I said, what does it mean? That's what she says. What does it mean? He says, here's what it means. Nothing imminent. Okay. Right. (laughs) (laughs) What they do mean is the NSA is in a panic over a raft of legislation that would make their current piratical rules illegal. Right. That's exactly what this is a reaction to. So, yeah, we're going to do something. And they say, oh, we're going to put it into into play. What? 2021, they said. That didn't tell me anything. But to Scott's point, yeah, we're expect we're expecting something to happen. Uh, and the NSA say, yeah, yeah, we're going to let this happen. But what are they going to let happen? They don't know. And it all and it all said they used some terminology within the within the rules of the they didn't use the word amateurism because they're not going to do that. But, man, there's a lot of a lot of gray area. If There's nothing concrete about what's happening here. And uh, a lot of stuff needs to be ironed out. And I'm not really answering the question. I just I, I don't think it was that big a story because. There's nothing there that, that that says, yeah, this is the direction that we're headed. And maybe you headed in direction where some guys are going to be able to uh, make some extra money, but my goodness gracious, they're a long way from anything definitive with regards to uh, what what the clear cut rules are. And I also still think that it, even if it does come to fruition, like a lot of people have in their mind, I still don't think it's going to impact nearly as many student athletes as people imagine. Because, again, if you look at every major college football program, major college basketball program in the country, I mean, how many players on each team are you can pick off like this year's Florida team? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Because, you know, Trayvon Grimes, could he make a lot of money on the side from his likeness? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But I do know that the NFLPA is already gearing up to try to cash in on some of this against the NCAA. So, Really, there's so many details that are yet to be worked out. And ultimately, what I hope that is, in the end, you like to see the, the people who should benefit from it, the pseudo-athletes benefit from it. Hopefully, that will happen. <laughs> yeah. And again, I think the idea for, for me, at least, is I have no issue with guys you know, being properly compensated for what they need to pay for and getting taken care of. I would just worry about a situation where you're like the NFL and you have quarterbacks making $30 million a year and you got the offensive line that, you know, leads their success. Those guys making maybe the, the league minimum in some cases, it just doesn't seem like it's a good thing to create star treatment when it comes to actual dollars. Cause there's a lot of guys in football and other sports that could use the money. And what if it's all going to the starting quarterback? Cause he has the most popular Jersey. It just doesn't seem like what college sports are about to me, at least. Well, Neither does it with Dabo Sweeney, who said that if they start getting paid, he would probably quit coaching. Did he really say that? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. He can be an electrician in Spartanburg or something yeah. like that. <laughs> well, in any case, it's going to be uh, it'll be interesting to see the way this this moves forward. As you guys said, it you know took ten years since O'Bannon to get here, so who knows when real change is actually implemented and what it will look like. But certainly, when it does, we'll have more to talk about. But uh, until then, I know you guys have a lot to write about. Florida Georgia is going to be dominating this week. Make sure to check out all their coverage on FloridaGators.com and follow them on Twitter at GatorsScott, at GatorsChris. And uh, you know, next week, hopefully, we'll be talking about Florida in the driver's seat for Atlanta, but that's why they play the games. We'll have to wait to find out. Thank you, Adam. Florida-Georgia is one of the most unique games in college football, rivaled by only Army-Navy and Texas-Oklahoma when it comes to the 50-50 crowd split. Very few people have the opportunity to compete in one of those games, let alone two. That's what makes Gene DeLance unique, as the former Longhorn prepares to play in Jacksonville for the first time after watching from the sidelines a year ago. We spoke to Gene about his path to Gainesville and the challenges that lie ahead, but began by finding out how Florida spent the bye week. Basically, we just we mentally got prepared. Everybody knows it was a chance for us to get back physically healthy, but mentally we started early. We got on the grind, and we, we really, you know, you enjoy the win for 24 hours, and you get back right to work on Monday. So basically, we, we did that on the bye week. Uh, started Monday, get back, watch film, and prepare. But it's, it's no days off. When you've got the week off on Saturday, are you going to get away from football, or are you always are you watching all the games even though you guys aren't playing? We're not, you know, I'm not playing, but I'm, I, I focus on this league. I watch a lot of guys in this league. I watch a lot of teams, and I watch the team we especially got to prepare for. We had a weekend off. I headed home to, to Texas, but on the flight home, it's grinding, pulling up film, downloading the film, coming back, getting home, watching film. If you love this game, you want to be a big-time player in a big-time team operation. You don't have time to take a break, so you have to watch film, watch film, watch film. You know, you, you watch football as much as you can. If you love it, you watch it as much as you can, so that's what I do. Mm-hmm. 
You mentioned going home to Texas, but I know you were also born in Georgia. So can you tell us about your background and kind of how you came to be in your early years? Basically, I was born in uh, Eastman, Georgia. I stayed in Georgia for about eight years. I moved to Texas for family reasons, no better opportunities, better jobs. I have a real big family moved there. I've been there ever since eight or nine. And uh, it's, it's, been a, it's been an actual blessing. It was a good move for the family. It put me in a, you know, a great environment, football environment, way better opportunities. And I, I can unfortunately say I'm blessed to have made that family decision to make that move. So it worked out. I know you have a, a couple of siblings. Can you tell us about them? Yeah, I have uh, two younger twin brothers. They're, they're seniors in high school. One is a one is a you know a real big academic guy. He's you know top ten percent in his class. He can go anywhere in the country with schooling. So that, that makes me proud right there. I have another one. I pull out player and he he's gifted, but you know he's not where he want to be. So he's working at times, getting scholarships and all that stuff, and just grinding. So yeah. Having two younger brothers, obviously, uh, you would be looked up to a good bit, I guess. Can you talk about being the role model for them and how you helped lead them? Oh, it was big. It was big. It was always, you know, seeing your brother's looking up to you day in and day out. So me, you know, sent a path and being a first sibling to get into college, go to college and earn a scholarship and grind and grind and tell them stay in school, get an education. That's big for our family, you know. So me being an older sibling, that's a goal. That's a standard. It's a goal for our family. And that sets a big goal just in life. You have those standards, you know, from your mom, your parents, and, you know, everybody else in the family. It sets a standard for, you know, the younger brothers. So they're following that role, and it's it's good. I know that, that football goes back at least a couple generations in your family. Tell us about the, the lineage of high-level football players you have going back. My grandfather, he was a Kansas State football player, and he played defense tackle. He started there. He played over about three or four years, and uh, he was a great player. Obviously, he, you know, he had some injuries and then could go to the next level, but he was on a path to going to the next level at a pretty high pick. But, you know, things happen. And uh, fortunately, I was blessed to have good genetics. Came out, you know, 6'5", about 310 pounds, 15 pounds, and, you know, real athletic, and it, it worked out. But, you know, that's just some of the trees that I have that I know of so far. You know, a lot of other guys in my family, I have uh, Leonard Floyd, who played division at Georgia. You know, he's, he's one of my cousins. So he's in the league right now. So, yeah. How and when did you first start playing football? Who introduced you to it? And was it love at first sight or did it take a little while for you? Actually, you know, uh, you know, I want to be a basketball player. So, uh, you know, coaches and I actually started in middle school. I played one game of peewee. It didn't work out. I got <laughs> sick. Yeah, I got sick. And I was like, I'm not playing peewee. I want to play basketball. I want to play basketball. So I've been playing basketball ever since. So first football game I actually truly played was in seventh grade. I was like, you know, 6'2", and I was like 250. And I fell, I fell in love with the dance because that's where I took out a lot of my, you know, my frustration. I got to hit people. I can't do that on the, you know, on the court. I could take a lot of fouls and charges. That's right. But I, you know, what I'm saying I couldn't just go blankly hit people. So that's <laughs> when I fell in love with it. And the coaches told me a lot of people told me you have a bright future playing this sport. This has been going ever since. So you said that at first it didn't go so well. What? Why didn't that first time in Pee Wee go that well? It's just you know I didn't think I was you know physical enough. I was like it's hard. I'm too big. I, you know it's hot. It's hot. It's hot. It's extremely hot in Texas. So being young, you're not mentally preparing, you, you know you know what I'm saying? My mom, she wasn't going to force it on me. You know what I'm saying? She definitely told me, pushed me to do it. But she wasn't going to force it on me. She was like, if you love it, play it. If you don't, you don't got to play. But it wasn't just the greatest experience. I was young. I didn't think I could do it. I swear I was going to pass out every day just <laughs> practicing. So, yeah. So other than the encouragement of your mom, though, I mean, what took you from I don't want any part of this to I'm all in? I mean, who who helped get you to that place? Actually, my high school coach, Michael Robertson, uh, he was my head coach at North Mesquite. He came down. He seen me. Some of the middle school coaches told him about me. He came to a middle school. He was like, I mean, you got great grades, you this and that. And I've done coached a lot of a lot of good players. I've had a lot of good players leave here and do this and that. He was like, you're a great kid. I see it in you. You you know, you need to stick to football, son. And I, I listened to him. I was like, you sure, coach? Yeah, you can play both sports now. You get to, get to high school. I'm telling you, this is sport for you, football. So I played both sports, middle school. Eighth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, and uh, when I got to high school, he to this day he just came to my uh, LSU game. He's like he's kind of like a you know an older father figure in a sense. So to this day, he's just been there. He's pushed me. And he I bought into it, and I loved it ever since. You mentioned being a really big guy going in there and maybe feeling a little out of place. I mean, did that instantly make you a lineman, or did you want to play other spots? What was your progression like in terms of the the position you played? Well, actually, my ninth grade year, I played left tackle and I played defensive end. They put me in the first 10 plays of the game. Oh, they started me on defense. Defense van, was, by this time, I was probably ninth grade. I was probably him by 6'3". They were about 265. And I, I got like two TFLs in one sack. And he, my coach was like, okay, keep playing, keep playing. But 
It's like, I'm, I'm telling you, you're going to get bigger. You're going to get bigger within this program. You're going to become a big guy. You know, if that don't suit you, you, you can play left tackle. You way out, you really athletic. So I was like, coach, I know, I know I like defense. Just tell you, no, you can, you can play. You can, you can play left tackle and do whatever you want to. Go as far as you want. So I kept playing, you know, eventually my junior year, I was like, by that time I was about 6'5", 290. So at that point, I bought it and I'm like, shoot, I'll play. It was like, yeah, man, you, you know, you can be this and that. And at that point, I became one of the you know, top prospects in Texas and in the nation. And I, I didn't look back ever since. You know, I loved it. I fell in love with the position. And I started doing research on Lyman far, far and from. So that's been it. Hmm. So you become a top prospect. You have a lot of letters coming in from all over the country. Uh, what schools were you most interested in? And what made Texas the right choice for you at the time? Well, yeah, I was, I was interested in LSU. Michigan. Obviously, I had Oklahoma up there at top, and then I had, you know, Texas, and I had Texas and them. And I, I know staying close to home was big for me. I'm a big family man, a family guy. You know, my family preaches family man. So that's that's been big for me since since I've, I've been a young boy. So obviously, I knew I wanted to stay close to home, and I flirted with a lot of schools. I mean, a lot of guys do it, but I knew where my heart was best for me staying around Texas or in Texas. And you know, at some point, I knew I wanted, I wanted to play in the SEC, and Texas and them just then they didn't treat me white. Right from the beginning so you know what i'm saying so that didn't work out and you know i stay true to those who believe in me and you know a lot of other schools believe in me texas texas tech tcu ou and at texas i had such a great uh, relationship with like a lot of guys there i had like malik jefferson deshaun elliott all guys from the same you know dallas metroplex as me and from there i built a relationship with those guys and i you know i didn't look back obviously you didn't finish your career at texas but i'm curious what some of your best memories are from your time there Actually, it's just, it was really, you know, one of my best memories was actually going to uh, Coach Strong's house and just having a, a team bonding moment. And the second memory would probably be my first day walking out there and pass the college football player is like one of my biggest moments in my career to this day. It's just a different level. Now you're like, I walk, I walk the walk, I can talk the talk, and I, I got to be that guy. Mm-hmm. When everyone loves Austin, it's hard to find someone who has a bad word to say about Austin. I'm curious what you enjoyed doing in the city in your, your time there. Oh, man, it's a lot of things. You know, they have a hiking. They have some – there's different, like, places where you can hike. I did a lot of powder boarding. I did a lot of just, like, city walking down 6th Street, having fun, eating a lot. I eat a, I eat a lot. So, you know what I'm saying? I ain't big for no reason. <laughs> I eat a lot. So I did a lot of that, and I did a lot of, like, tourist things, and I loved it. So when you decided to transfer, I know you said that you're, you know, being close to home is big for you. You're a family guy. Um, last time I looked at a map, Florida and Texas were not particularly close to each other. So I'm curious what made you want to make the move to Florida, given how big of a, of a departure that was. Well, from, you know, when I, when I made that move from the Big 12, and I knew I was, you know, want to go down a different path. I decided the SEC was a great place for me. From that point, it was where. Well, you know, where, where can I fit in, try to help as soon as possible? And, you know, if I got to sit and take some time, that's fine with me. I want to develop, be the best player I can be. Well, obviously, fortunately for me, I have family up all up and down the East Coast. I have a lot of cousins and aunties in Orlando, only about an hour, 45, 50 from here. And I have a lot of cousins, family all in Georgia. We're from Georgia, so it worked out perfect. I still got family here. They support me all the time. Obviously, it's SEC big time football, as you see. Like, I can't, I can't ask for more at this point. It worked out better than I, you know, I could imagine. So I'm happy I made that decision. Well, and you've talked a lot about the SEC and, and what the league means to you. Having played in both the SEC and the Big Twelve, what are some of the observations you've made about the biggest differences, whether it's the athletes, the style, etc. Well, yeah, I can definitely tell you there's not a lot of finesse in the SEC. Big 12, you're going to have a lot of finesse players, a lot of up-tempo, you know what I'm saying? When a bit in the SEC, you're going to get, you know, smash mouth football. You're going to get hit in the face. So if you don't got your big boy pants on, you might as well, you know, give it up. But <laughs> and it's just it's way different from the Big 12. You know, you like to have a lot of smaller guys, but SEC is way different. A lot of big guys, a lot more talent. You're going to you're going to see guys are going to play on Sunday, weekend and week out. So that's what I like about this this league especially. Prepare for the next level. You know, offensive lines are so much about cohesion and guys really gelling together. When you came in as a transfer, which players did you immediately feel kind of a kinship with that, that helped make that an easier transition for you? I instantly became best friends with Jawan Taylor, TJ Moore, Fred Johnson, other guys, etc. So, you know, I, they took, they, everybody accepted me. It wasn't no like, oh man, he coming here to take spots. It was, ne- it was never that, you know what I'm saying? We obviously had a a ground mentality, you know, a competitive mindset, but it was always with open arms. You know what I'm saying? Everybody, hey, man, you come here, you came here to play. So those guys, they, they took me in open arms, and to this day I'm real close with a lot of them. 
this could be football related or non-football related. I'm, I'm curious, looking at some of the biggest challenges that you've had to overcome, what was the biggest one and how did you get through it? The the transferring process and uh, yeah, that was probably one of my biggest obstacles this far to this day. You, you know, you, you take a lot of heat from it. People don't accept that well, especially fans. And they don't understand that we, we just we're people like them. You know what I'm saying? And to them, it's like, no, you, you, you came here, you stay here. So, you know, it was a lot of backlash from that. And I had to grow up and mature and say, okay, you know what I'm saying? Don't, don't listen to the outside negativity. Be, you know, be mature, growing up at this point and, uh, make the best decision for me. And it was hard. You know what I'm saying? I was in a very tough place. You know, I left there end of July, August. I was here at the end of August. So, like, you know, it was a, it was a very fast switch and it was hard, you know, especially being far away from my family, uh, in Texas. It was, it was hard, but it was like, you know, by the end of that year, December, it grew on me, became home. Like, this is another home. So that was definitely a hard moment in my life. Mm-hmm. In researching your background, I discovered you're something of a musical savant. Can you tell us about all the different instruments that you can play? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it started in middle school. I, I was also in band. A lot of people don't know that. But I was in band. I played the trumpet, tuba, you know, saxophone, clarinet, and et cetera. A lot of brass instruments. I, I could do it all. I know I still want to learn some more. I want to learn piano. I want to learn a guitar. But there's a lot of things, you know, that I, I could do. And that is a talent I never gave up. And I was really good at it. Where did that talent come from? I mean, what, what got you interested in doing that? Because that, that's, that's a pretty impressive uh, list of instruments you could play. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I had a pick. Well, I'm going to tell you the truth. I had to pick a elective in middle school. And I was like, you know, you got football in there. You got to pick something else. So I'm like, I'm going to try band. I'm going to try band and see how I like it. Well, they gave me a tuba because obviously I was like the biggest, one of the biggest guys in there. <laughs> You're the one guy big enough to hold it, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, because I was big enough to hold it. So they stuck me with the tuba fast. And then after <laughs> that, I learned every other instrument in that room. But it was a fun thing to do. It was one of my little hobbies. I had I had a tuba home for the whole summer. I had one for like half a year. Something that I just like to do if I can't do it, but I still don't know how to play, you know, a little piano, a little guitar. Have you, at any point when you guys are, are singing the fight song, with the band, have you ever considered maybe jumping in there and, and taking Bro, over? I, it's crazy. I look up there every time and look at the uh, look at the band. Look at the band because like people don't understand. They put in a lot of work actually going out there marching in the summers, even in high school. Like it's really really competitive, especially in Texas. Like band is really a competitive sport. Like going out there and having your little little marching sessions, whatever. Like they take it really serious about winning state and winning. You know semifinals like it's a real big thing so like when i see them i know it's a lot of work put into it and a lot of dedication just like we out here you know practicing the grind and they do the same thing so i think about that all the time yeah, very true of it and very uh, very cool to point that out too we've established you have a lot of different interests you're something of a renaissance man but time is an issue i'm sure when you do have some free time what do you enjoy doing away from the field well one is you know obviously i said i'm a family man so very family oriented. When I get to go see my family, they get to come see me. We spend a lot of time. But besides that, I'm real like I like I'm I'm very adventurous. If I get to try something new that I haven't done, obviously I'm talking myself up into doing this every day. It's skydiving me and my friends and all that stuff. My family back home, we're talking ourselves into doing it. Obviously, I'm 300 plus pounds, so I know me <laughs> jumping out of plane is is not the smartest idea. But yeah, I'm talking myself up into doing that. But I like you know I like fishing, paddleboard, and I do the little what's those uh the little thing the water holes down here. So I do all of that. What place do you most want to go that you haven't been? What, what's an adventure you've been looking forward to going on you haven't gotten to do to this point? Mm, okay, I know I want to go overseas, so hopefully I can go to, got Haitian descent. My father's Haitian, so mm. either I want to go to Haiti or I want to go to uh, Rome. Very cool. I read that you spent a lot of time over the years volunteering with the Boys and Girls Clubs, especially back home. Can you talk about that work and what inspired you to, to start volunteering with them? Well, actually, first I was a part of the Boys and Girls Club. Growing up, like, I had to spend some, my mom had to work. So, you know what I'm saying? We were young. I was 12, 13. My brothers was maybe eight, nine. And uh, we had to go, sometimes we had to spend, stay there for the afternoon. It was like three, four hours. You know, I got to meet a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds. And I could see, like, there's a lot of, a lot of people out there that need, you know, need someone to talk to, need someone to be, like, positive in their life. I feel like I changed a lot of different people's lives. I was going down the wrong road when I was 17, 18. So, yeah, that's something that I, I did and I still would like to do. Football related or not, what's the best advice you've ever received and how did it affect you? Mm, don't listen to outside noise. And that's coming from my office line coach right now. That's coming from my mother. You know, don't listen to outside noise that, you know, you have to you have to be mature. You have to see past what some people don't know what's going on in-house. Everybody don't know what's going on in-house. And just be an adult, you got to sometimes swallow that pill, take it because nobody knows what's going on within your house, within your house. May that be 
you know, your home, may that be your facility, may that be your team, may that be friends and family, you never know, but you have to look past outside noise. And that's something that took me a long way just in maturing from, you know, my sophomore year to now. I got a couple of fun ones here. These are new. I'm testing these out on you. You seem like you're up for the challenge. If you could wake up to the same song every single day, what song would you choose? Um, probably Baby Breaking by Gunna. How come? Well, I mean, you're talking about hot fashion. I'm a, I like fashion. I'm a big guy. But you're talking about some hot fashion. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a lot of guys, a lot of guys like that. I like that. I mean, obviously, I don't want a baby Birkin. But, I mean, the purpose of the song is about hot fashion and getting that quality of fashion. So, I mean, I want my waking up to that. Got a nice little beat. You know, I like Ghana. So, yeah. What was the last movie you saw that made you cry or at least tear up a little bit? To be honest, it would have been Joker. I was like, you know, I didn't cry, but I was like, like you feel me? I, I felt for it, especially people with mental illness and mental health. Like I had a little, I had a little sad spot because I have people like that in my family. I didn't cry, mm-hmm. but you feel me? Like maybe like you feel like tear up just a little bit, just cause like really the movie got into a lot of his diagnosis, why he is who he is, and that's just because he suffered from mental illness. He have bad mental health, mm-hmm. and it's crazy how you know majority of you know population now and people just in this world overlook people like that you know what i'm saying he, he was suffering trying to get treatment and get counselors and nobody really understood him for who he was so like i can't i can't relate to that because i can you know attest for people like that in my family and I, I had a little soft spot for it even though the movie was a good movie and besides that the action scenes and whatever but you know just that itself i made me feel some way yeah that's an interesting take on it for sure um i want to finish with some football stuff for you we'll bring it back around uh, over the course of this season, just like last year, there's definitely there's been clear improvement for the offensive line. I'm curious from your perspective, where do you think you've improved the most, and where has the overall offensive line made the biggest strides? Well, I, I can really say that we made a, a big stride in in our passing game and, and pass blocking, and you know we obviously getting we obviously every day harping on being physical in the run game. We we you know we're getting better. And we're going to continue to get better. You know, I'm speaking it, and I believe it. And we're doing it. We're going to attest to it. We're going to prove it. And that's just something that we we focus on day in and day out. Just being physical guys, being big, nasty guys, and handling what we can handle. And you know, and and move from there. But I would say, you know, we're we're doing good with moving the ball in the air. But we need to do better way to run on the ground. So we're going to work on that. Keep working on that. In terms of the work that Kyle has done behind you, how have you seen him grow? In, in his six-plus weeks as a starter now, where have you seen him make the biggest strides? I'm confidence. Kyle has a big confidence level. You know, I see Kyle practice every day, but now he's, you know, one, number one. Now it's, it's a different guy. I'm talking to him as much, like, a lot besides just off the field. Now we're talking way more on the field. I tested it being maybe Felipe right there, who was right there at first. Now it's Kyle. And like, his, he, like, he's very, like, poised. He's not worried about nothing. He don't freak out he's like playing wise he's way mature you seem like he's been a two-year starter and i i can i can say i love him back there i'm gonna protect him i'll give him my all so hmm. couple final things for you uh, there's not many people who can say they've been on the sidelines in both the florida georgia game and texas oklahoma two of the most unique games in the country with that 50 50 split at a neutral site can you sort of compare and contrast dallas versus jacksonville oh that's hard yeah, Texas and all you got some crazy, crazy fans. And actually, we do too. And we don't like to lose. <laughs> so when you lose, we, 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 our fans take it to heart. There's no, you know, Texas fans got a little sympathy for you. Gator fans, like, hey, man, it's tough. We're not losing. Like, hey, y'all strap it up, keep going. We, I don't care how long we got, but we're going to win this game. And like, the environments are way different. You know, like, Texas OU game is actually in the middle of a, a state fair. So, mm-hmm. I mean, people coming, flowing in and out, in and out, in and out. And it's, it's extremely loud, extremely loud. But Jacksonville got them by a notch. Just by a notch. And it's hard for me to say that because I haven't heard, you know, it takes OU game in a minute. I haven't been there on the field in our environment. But I think Georgia and Florida game got them just by a little bit. It's just louder? Is it? Is that come down just, to noise? Yeah, louder. More intense. And, you know, yeah, it's, it's way more intense. Like, it's, it's no games. Like, it's no games. When, you know, when one up, one is up. When that crowd, side of the crowd is up, they're up. Like, they're loud and they're live. And yeah, it's way different. Since you had the early part of your life in Georgia, you still have a lot of friends, family that are that are Bulldog fans. Has this been kind of a, a lot of John going back and forth for you this last couple weeks? You know what's crazy? Actually, no, no, really. You know, all my all my family who were like born, you know, grew up Georgia Bulldog fans. Ever since I've been a, you know, what I'm saying I've been a Gator. It's Gator since. So like we don't, you know, what I'm saying like in house wise, it hasn't been much like. 
oh, no, I want the Gators. I don't want the Gators. Like, you know, uncles, aunts, cousins. I bought it all then, but like, no, nah, we finna Gators finna handle this. So, like, yeah, that's that's something I love. Hmm. I know you mentioned earlier that you started looking at game tape even when you were traveling to go see family during the bye week. Tell me what you see from Georgia. What does the challenge look like, and, and what's the plan of attack? Like, they're, they're a fundamentally sound defense, and you obviously got to get down and play fast with them. You can't give them time to make any reads or checks and, and get into defenses and stop what we have, you know, set up out there on the, on the, on the field at the line of scrimmage. You know, we obviously got to get down, get set, and, you know, harp on that as much as we can. So we don't want to give them no time to change or, you know, check anything. We want to, you know, be on it as fast as we can. And that's, that's something else. They're very, very fundamentally sound defense. They, you know, they do things that a lot of other teams can't do and they have a lot of good players that's doing it. So that gives them a big edge. With all of the hype that's been building for this game, especially coming off the bye week, I mean, you guys have had some really, really big weekends this year. But what does this one in particular feel like in the locker room, given everything that's on the line? Guys, mindset is way different. I'm, uh, we grind, we grind hard, and we grind really hard. But like Coach Mullen said, if you got to get hyped up for this, something's wrong with you. So I mean, this is this is this is this is all there. You know what I'm saying? This is all for us, and we're gonna you know continue to keep doing that week in and week out, whatever this outcome is. But we're we're looking to handle this, handle this week, you know, handle this weekend, get this win, and obviously make a statement in the SEC and especially in the East that we're a big time team and that we made it a big time game. We're 71. I mean, uh, you know, it could be we could be looking at a different statement right now. But we obviously made it a big time game. We're seven and one, and I'm telling you, like guys don't work as hard as us. We got we got guys coming in the weight room, squatting 600 pounds uh, uh, every Monday and Wednesday. You don't you don't see that from guys that starters. You know what I'm saying? So we got guys coming in grinding, throwing four or five plates up during the week because like it means that much to us. We don't care if we we aching and we finna go out to practice. We're gonna turn it up another level. So it's Georgia week. <laughs> we hate Georgia. <laughs> There's nothing hot about that. I know they hate us, so it's, it's mutual. And we're going to turn this level up of competition and get it going. We're not, we're not backing down from no challenges. We got guys ready to go, and we're going we're gonna to do what we do. Well, Gene, good luck in Jacksonville. Good luck the rest of the season, and thank you so much for talking to us. No problem. Thank you. Have a good one. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. As if you needed a reminder, Florida and Georgia will kick off Saturday at 3.30 on CBS and the Gator Sports Network from Learfield IMG College. Then, be sure to come back next Thursday as we'll break it all down in a new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in Jacksonville.